Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. It's pretty busy today. Um, it's finally back. You know, um, there's probably more people in here today than there have been in 18 months. Oh man, the guy was making like a vase or like something really beautiful and blue and like amazing. Hola, welcome to Right Now, which I'm Pendarvis Harshaw. This week, we go into the burning hot studios of San Francisco's Public Glass, the only public glass studio and workshop in the city. Inside of a warehouse in the Bayview, the nonprofit's executive director, Nate Watson, gives us the ins and outs of what it's like to play with fire. So it is kind of like a barbecue in here, you know, all the different smells. And what I really loved about glass when I started is it reminded me of campfire. You know, the burning wood and like you can use, we use newspaper a lot too. And that newspaper burning really like kind of smells like, like, like people hanging out. <laughs> all right, look. I'm gonna keep it 100 degrees with you. I have zero experience with this art form. They didn't offer it at the schools I attended nor in the community that I grew up in. So I came in looking to learn about the culture and the history of this craft, and I wanted to make something. But I um I had to get used to the fire first. It's like the equalizer. Um, nobody's really comfortable in here at first. So if you create, you bring a group that has hierarchy and you bring them into this space, it evens the field. Because they're all scared of fire. Everybody's equally afraid. <laughs> yep, I too was equally afraid. Or cautious and excited and sweaty. He's telling me all of this while we're standing near a vat of melted glass that's just about as hot as volcanic lava. All right, back into the lava field. Let's do it. Pretty much. All right. And from that scorching vat comes a craft that dates back to the first century in the Middle East. It's an art form that tells the line of true alchemy. It's a line of work that might be foreign to someone like me, but come on, glass is everywhere. And now that I've seen how it's made, I can't stop thinking about it. Today we learn about the art of blowing glass and how Nate Watson is using the craft to push culture and build community. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. 
Thanks. When glass cools, it shrinks. And sometimes the exterior shrinks faster than what's going on, on the inside. It builds up pressure and it explodes. And so little things, we have barrels to contain most of it, but if something's on the floor, sometimes it'll just pop. And so everyone needs glasses just in case. My producer Marisol and I, we got our safety glasses, and then we got a quick tutorial about glasswork ground rules. So I've got a, an assortment of uh, rods here. The ones that have holes in are called blowpipes. And so anytime you see uh, glass that has volume, um, be it a drinking glass, a vase, it was made on a blowpipe. Um, you can make solid things using rods like this, but we also use them to transfer things. So if we make a glass or a cup. The rod is like a four foot out. long steel stick that one might use if they were roasting an oversized marshmallow. But instead of a tasty treat at the end, you dip the stick into a 2,000 degree vat and pull out a wad of glass that moves with the consistency of snot. So I'm gonna open this up and you're gonna feel it. I'm standing behind you yeah. and it's hot. And so that all the orange that you see, that's heat. Oh God. That's a heat glow. That The glass is not orange, it's yeah. clear. But what you're seeing is just the, the glowing resonance of the heat. Nervous? Who, me? Nah, not at all. I'm just sticking this oversized skewer into the fiery lava that Super Mario used to fall into on that one hard level. Oh, and I'm barehanded, standing just far enough away so I don't burn myself while maneuvering the rod through this molten orangutan orange colored liquid glass. Yeah, just gotta pick it up. There you go. Okay. And use your hip to stabilize. Hip. Just get comfortable. Just keep turning, just keep turning. Cause that's what you're gonna do. Once you get the glass, you're never gonna stop turning. Uh, oh my god, 80s, yes. Turn, 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 turn. Keep going, keep going. Turn fast. Fast, go, fast. rotate. There you go. Uh, Tootsie pop. Stay right there. All right. Okay, up and out. Up and out? Yep. Oh, turn. So I managed to collect a glob of the liquefied glass at the end of the pole. It's now moving with the consistency of honey. The pole, solid steel, is heavy. And I have to rotate it constantly so that the glass coagulates as it cools without dropping any of my kicks. Oh, and I'm moving across the room about 30 feet from the first vat to the workstation where I'll mold my blob into something. But before I can start to shape it into something useful, I need to cool the rod in some water. So if you hear a sizzle on the metal, then you know that area is hot. But after I cool it down, I can hold it here and that allows me to control the glass. So we're cooling all of our tools and keeping being mindful of what's hot and what's cold. Next, we head to the second furnace, which is dubbed the glory hole. Basically, it reheats the glass, allowing it to be more malleable. What's most exciting for us is when the glass is its hottest. That's when you're moving faster, you're trying to keep up with the glass. That's when it has all the energy. And that uh, glory hole brings energy back to the glass. It brings heat back, and the heat brings movement. And the movement gives you potential. After reheating the glass in the glory hole, I take it out and rest the rod of steel on the bench where there's a spread of tools at my disposal. Um, these are all the tools that we'll be using and pretty much the same tools for hundreds of years. You know, if you go anywhere in the world, same tools. Um, these are called jacks, these are tweezers, diamond shears, regular shears, and they all have kind of a way that they're set up. So if you go blow glass in Italy, Sweden, New York, LA, bench pretty much looks the same. Like a chessboard, like all the pieces go in one Exactly, place. everybody knows how to, how to set it up. Yeah. Um, one of the tools I use kind of looks like a wooden soup ladle. The bowl part of it 
helps to round the curves of the blob and begins to give definition to this thing I'm creating. I also use some tweezer looking thingies to pull or push parts of the hot liquid ball, creating artsy dimples in what is slowly becoming a paperweight. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna put little indentions in this. Okay. Okay? The dimples like Yeah, just like I did. Okay. Just nice and easy. Don't push too hard. Just see what it'll do before you commit. Right? Start off like, it's soft. The glass is soft, but you'll see as you put the dimples in, it'll harden up. So, so you take this, so you're turning and, okay, stop, temple. Okay, flip, dimple. There you go. All right, put those jacks down. They're about as hot, they will burn you. The next few minutes go on like this. Nate helped me to put the rod back in the glory hole, shaping the glass with the tools, all while trying to not burn myself. Until finally, it's time to pop my creation off the rod. Using a tool called a jack, I carefully mark the line where I want the glass to break off the rod. That little crease in the glass is called a jack line. And I put one drop of water on that line and it actually just fractured the glass enough to make it break predictably. So, um, and it's so hot, it's not gonna crack the rest of the glass. Right. It's just on that line that we already created a weak spot on. Aw, we made something. <laughs> now I have a Chardonnay colored paperweight. <laughs> I successfully made my first piece of blown glass and I didn't break it. To finish it, Nate uses a blowtorch to sand the bottom so it has an even base. And then we place it in a kneading oven, which kind of looks like that industrial sized freezer that Big Mama used to have out in the garage. But it's not an ice box. Nah, it's actually a hot box. It's just a few degrees cooler than that hellacious vat that I started at. And we just dropped it in, and that's where it's gonna live until tomorrow. And so what that does is it cools it down slowly. Um, if we just put it on the ground, it would cool too fast and it would just crack and break. Cooling it slowly allows it to cool evenly, which gives it integrity tomorrow. Yeah, so after experiencing all of that, y'all know I had some burning questions. Before getting to your, your involvement here at Public Glass, what's your start in this line of work? How'd you get involved in the craft? Well, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. I went to a small college called Center College. And I went there thinking that I was going to be, you know, like a physical therapist or something, you know, and then I was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, when I was a junior, um, I was looking for a buddy of mine and I couldn't find him. And I didn't even know we had a glass blowing studio. And uh, I found him in the art building in this glass shop. And he was like, hey, come help me. And he pulled me in and, and helped, you know, I helped him. And uh, man, it was just like, there was music, there was people. I told you about the campfire smell, there was a campfire smell. Um, it had everything. It had a physicality, um, it had the art and creativity. Um, it was collaborative, it had everything that I really loved. Um, and then I begged my way into a class, it was full. And uh, Stephen Powell is a really well-known artist who just passed. Um, he just opened that whole world up to me. He gave me a chance. He let me come work for him. He took me all over the country to do demos. He took me, you know, into the back rooms and met all of the artists that we read about in books. And so for a few years, I just ran around with him and, uh, and I just like, he made me feel like I could do this. You know, as I moved forward and got better at this and created opportunities for myself, I really felt like it was, um, kind of my responsibility to make sure that other people could do this in the same way that I was allowed to do this. Once you've had that experience in academia, you end up at San Francisco State, 
Uh, what was your experience like there and how did that translate to the work you do now? San Francisco State had a little glass program um, in the basement of their art building and uh, it was honestly not very well supported. Um, they essentially said, here's a room, here's a class, figure it out. It just lit a fire under me, honestly. Like, you know, working in a space like that, that didn't have a lot of support, it made me want to prove them wrong. And so when they cut that program, my entire class came here with me to Public Glass and we took our culture, we took our excitement, we took our skills um, that we built in that space, um, working for each other and we brought it to Public Glass. And, and we've been really just kind of pouring that energy out into the Bayview ever since and out into the city. We're making the case for why art and artists are important and, uh, and specifically glass. Like people say it's dying, you know? And, and I think that like I look at our studio and we're thriving. You know, we're doing good work and people are, are really changing and evolving and, and doing important things out in the community that transcend this, this art form. Follow-up is what's the difference between being located in the Bayview and being in the Bayview? That's a great question, um, you know, because a lot, of, a lot of folks come to Bayview because it's cheap space. And when you're trying to do work in Bayview, people always want to know, like, how is this going to benefit the community? Because a lot of people come here, they extract and they leave. They, they come here for the resources and they go and they don't participate. And so I think being in the Bayview, really being in the Bayview is walking down the street, going to the shops, going to the stores, knowing the people and participating, like really participating. You know, so when we do a project, we make sure that we include our neighbors. We go to the George W. Davis Senior Center. We make sure we talk to everybody there and we spend time. And you got to build trust because there are folks that care about this neighborhood and who want to do good work and who want to have fun and who want to make things and create. For the past two years, Nate and the other teachers at Public Glass have worked alongside Bayview residents to create a public art installation. It's eight feet tall concrete letters that spell Bayview adorned with glass and mosaic tiles made by folks at different local schools and senior centers. You can see it driving on 3rd and Mead. And those mosaic tiles were mined from the community over two years. So people in the community donated mugs, dishes, vases, material that they have in their homes. And they brought it to public glass over the last two years. We broke it down and processed it into tiles, separated by color and size. I'm trying to earn trust in this neighborhood. But in order to earn trust, I have to give trust. So I'm not trying to micromanage the people that I'm working with. Um, everyone's an artist and I trust them. And it's the first thing that a lot of the folks who we worked with have done in the public um, since the pandemic. So um, it's been this really beautiful art project that has brought people back outside. And uh, when we're working on it out there, people are driving by honking their horns and, you know, and folks always yell out, you know, is this for the community? You know, it's like, yeah, it's for the community. You know, the community gave us the stuff to do it. They're out here doing it right now, you know, it's, and, and that makes me proud. Do you ever get that, that whole shock thing of like, what, you're a black man doing this? What? Like, I can do it too? Like from the neighborhood? I mean, this is a historically black neighborhood. So do you get that interaction? Not too much, because now I'm that guy. Yeah. I'm that black guy that blows glass. Mostly I just get conversation. People walk up to me and they feel like they can talk to me. And they say, hey, you know, like I've always wanted to try this. Or, you know, I was in the military and I was, you know, stationed in Italy and I saw this and this and this. People have an experience with glass. They just don't have anybody to talk to about it. 
you know, they don't have a way to share it and they don't have a way to relive it or reimagine what that experience was like. And, you know, sometimes me being a person of color who does this is just a way for people to like walk up and strike up a conversation and get interested again, you know? So it's, it's not that I'm an anomaly or, you know, it's not so much about how I feel about it. It's how I can help other people feel. Nate, thank you for taking your time, for allowing Marisol and myself into your space, and for trusting me to not accidentally fling molten hot glass across the room. That was my biggest fear. But I got over that, and I got to make something, and I got a lesson about community and culture, and so, thank you. Again, Public Glass is open to the public. If you're looking for more information, check out their website, publicglass.org. Also, Nate is a renowned artist in the glass world. To see his creations and the work of other talented artists, check out their Instagram, at Public Glass, all one word. Marisol Medina Cadena is the producer of the show. Our editor is Jessica Plachik. Our engineer is Seal Muller. Kiana Mogadam, Ashley Ng, and Sarah Pineda make up the engagement team. KQED execs are Erica Aguilar, David Marcus, and Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw, reminding y'all that fire can be used to build or destroy. The choice is yours. Thanks for listening. Peace. Right Now-ish is a KQED production. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.